Partnership with God. Okay? Uh, here, if you look in verse 1 of chapter 6, he says that we are working with Him. Paul referred to it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He said we are fellow workers with God. He calls us ambassadors tonight. All right? Think about the magnitude of that just for a minute. To be a partner with God, to be His representative here on earth, to do His good, take the gospel to the world. It's a pretty uh, amazing thing, really, if you think about it. I mean, you know, God didn't have to use us, did He? I mean, He could have done it a bunch of different ways. You know, He didn't need to rely on the human to go do this. I mean, in the Old Testament, we see many times he uses the angels, right? Angels do a lot of different things. Could have done it a bunch of different ways, but no, God chose you and me to be his partner. I mean, that's a pretty amazing thing to think about. And I tell you from experience, from my own personal experience, in a partnership, uh, or even as an employee in a business, if you want to excel in that partnership, if you want to excel as an employee in a company, okay, in my experience, you have to focus on at least two things, all right? You've always got to have your eye and your focus on the big picture, and at the same time, you got to pay attention to the task at hand, all right? You got to have a big picture perspective, but you also have to pay attention to what we've got to do here on earth. We've got to we got to always stay focused on glory, right? But we also have to, to work and focus on the task at hand. I told you last week that I'm pretty one-dimensional. I'm not much of a reader and don't have a whole lot of hobbies, really. Uh, so one of them is I was listening. I like to listen to sermons. So I was listening to a sermon recently where uh, the pastor was talking about a guy named Don Thompson. And Don, I don't know if you've ever heard that word, name, but Don was the CEO of McDonald's. He was the first black CEO of McDonald's. He's got an incredible story. He was raised in Chicago by his grandmother in uh, what was a really rough neighborhood. He grew up uh, near the Cabrini Green Housing Project. And the only reason that that's significant to me is it's where the movie or the, the television show Good Times. Anybody remember Good Times? That's a great show, right? Florida Evans, Esther, she's a devout Christian. JJ, Dynamite. Come on. That's where he grew up. One of the roughest neighborhoods in the country. Not my job. At age 10, his grandmother moved him to Indianapolis to give him a safer, better life, where he acted upon his entrepreneurial spirit. It says at age 11, he went and printed up some business cards, started passing them out at senior living facilities and started doing errands for them to make some extra money. He made it to college, he graduated, he landed his job in the engineering department at McDonald's, and then he was quickly promoted. It says about four years later, after starting at McDonald's, he moved into operations. And when he was in operations, he said he wanted to learn all the business. So he went down, he started as a fry cook in one of the restaurants, and went everything from fry cook to, to manager of a store, and it paid off for him because he got promoted uh, to the manager over 350 restaurants, and then he got promoted to the chief operations officer of the U.S., and then to the president of McDonald's USA Canada, then to the chief operating officer of the entire global company, and then in 2012 he was promoted to CEO. First black CEO in the history of McDonald's served two and a half years before retiring. 
Great story, and I might add, a great Christian man. Took lots of persecution on the job for his Christian faith. Uh, if you did a Google search, you would find that a lot of people are, would say a lot of negative things about him. Maybe he didn't do a good job, and you know, I looked and I read a bunch of things. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. It may have been a little bit of bad timing. Only God knows. It's somewhat similar in our own lives, right? Sometimes we just we don't know. You know, it takes a long time to to see the results of something and the impact that you have on someone's life. But Mr. Thompson, having worked his way up from the bottom, you can see where I'm going, he had this great perspective of, of what the, the big picture goals should be and you know, profitability of the company and market trends and how to position McDonald's in a, as a global company. But he also knew how to focus on the task at hand. He asked him once, you know, what it was like, and he said, at McDonald's, it didn't matter what degree you had, if you didn't understand mustard, ketchup, onions, and pickles, you didn't understand the business, right? You just didn't understand McDonald's, and he said, and by the way, I can still cook fries, and I can still cook burgers. He understood the big picture and the task at hand, very similarly as a guy named Doug McMillan. I don't know if you know that name, but Doug is the current CEO of Walmart. He actually started at Walmart in 1984 as an hourly summer associate in a distribution center. Learned from the ground up. He knew, has a great perspective on the global business, but he also knows about the task at hand. And it's really kind of the same for us as Christians, if you think about it. You know, we've got to have this kind of big picture focus, what I would call an eternal perspective. Very important if we're going to excel in our partnership with God. But we also have to be focused on the task at hand. All right, and we could come up with a lot of different tasks as a Christian, right? Serving others, loving others, being kind. But I think we could probably all agree there's not much more important than sharing the gospel. Taking the gospel out to people that don't know Christ. And tonight, uh, when Paul talks about this, he talks about it in terms of, the, of a, being a minister of reconciliation. One of the most important chapters in all of the Bible. I was trying to figure out how I could do it in 30 minutes and... I'm sure you won't mind if it takes an hour. Be okay, right? See how many people leave. But uh, if we're going to be successful in our heavenly partnership, it is critical that we understand the big picture and the task at hand. And that's really what Paul is talking about here in chapter 5 on a grand scale. So let's take a look. Chapter 5, 2 Corinthians. And first, we're going to look at the big picture. So I'm going to start and read the first 10 verses, and then we're going to talk about it. In verse 1, it says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. Now, this is some confusing language here, and I could talk and teach an entire lesson just on these few verses, but really what Paul's trying to talk about here is, is he's really looking forward to the new heaven and the new earth. And he's, he's going back and forth between talking about what it's going to be like then and now and this period in between Okay, before the Christ comes back and we're resurrected from the grave and we meet him in the sky. And if you wanted to study about this, I would tell you to go look at two verses, 1 Corinthians 15, 52 and Luke 23, 43, and just think about that. 
Luke 23, 43, where on the cross he says, Today I will be with you in paradise. So what Paul's talking about here in this, these few verses is, is really this distinction. He's talking about being unclothed, you know, whether it be here or, you know, I don't want to be in the grave necessarily. I want to be with Christ. He says, I groan for what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So really what he's looking forward to is that day when we get to be with Christ and there's this new heaven and new earth. I mean, just, you know, I love reading the book on heaven because it just, it just fires me up to think about it. We all tend to think about this new world, this new heaven, new earth in terms of like maybe it's not going to be as good. I, I talk to people all the time. It's like, well, why do I want that? Man, are you kidding me? Free from sin, walking with God in a new heaven and a new earth? I mean, how much better does it get than that? And, you know, and, and, and I heard a preacher and a writer on heaven, you know, everybody wants to say, well, I, well, I know my family. Well, I know my friends in heaven. He's like, well, you're not going to be dumber in heaven, okay? So you're going to know things. You're going to know things. So that's what he's talking about here. And then in verse 5, he says, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So two things I want us to think about in terms of the big picture. Two things I think we need to remember. First, this world is not our home. Right? This world is not our home. And verse 1, that's really what Paul's talking about. He says, For we know that if the tent that is earth, our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. My father's house has many rooms. Remember, it's a building from God, a house not made with hands, but eternal in the heavens. You know, what we have and what we know as Christians is that heaven is real, it's eternal, and it's for us. It's for those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And, you know, when I wrote that out, we know heaven is real, is eternal, and is for us. I mean, the first two things that came to my mind after was, okay, Scott, tell me why, okay, or how do I know that today, and why is it important today for me? I mean, that was my two questions, is how do I know that today, and why is it important to me today? Well, the how, the first how is, well, the Bible says so. Okay, God's Word, and I could talk a long time about God's Word and the accuracy of God's Word and why you can believe it, but God's Word says it. And the second thing, God guarantees it. That's what he's saying here. We've talked about this before back in, I think, chapter 1, where in verse 5 he says, for, he says, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. We talked about this. That guarantee there is really like the word, it's like a down payment. Okay, so what God has done is he's given us a glimpse, a piece of heaven, a piece of this eternity, a piece of this perfection in the form of the Holy Spirit. He's given us this now. So he's literally giving us that perspective. I mean, think about that. God and all of his goodness in us, he's giving it right now as a down payment. He's saying, listen, you, you want to know how heaven is going to be? I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. I'm giving you this eternal perspective lives inside of you every single day. It's all about, do we access that? Do we let the Holy Spirit influence our lives? It's right there. Our eternal perspective is right inside of us. It's the Holy Spirit if you're a believer. And the second thing, why? Why do we care? Why does it matter to us that heaven is real, eternal, and is for us? Well, this is one I like a lot. 
First of all, you can see here he tells us that it gives us courage. It gives us confidence, motivates us to please God. But as a business guy myself, here's what I like about this when I think about the eternal perspective, okay? It's because it allows me as a Christian to swing for the fences. I can swing for the fences for God. Take chances. I mean, think about that. If you know where you're going to go and that the worst that can happen to you is death and that nothing that this world can do for you, man, think about the freedom. No fear. Amen? That's why he says that I walk by faith, not by sight. I don't need to worry about what I see and all the bad things and all the reasons I can't do something. I can go swing for the fences. Man, if business was only that easy. Right? No, you have to think about all kinds of downsides. But here, there is no downside. What did Paul say, man? To live as, to die as Christ? Right? I, when, I, when I die, I get better things. That's why this is so important. It's like, it's like having a trust fund. Right? It's like being really rich and having a trust fund. If you mess up, you know, you still got eternity. So go do big things for God. That's what this is about. That's what having the eternal perspective is about. Is you can go swing for the fences. And you know what? At the end, there's a great payoff. That's the second thing you should remember. There's a great payoff. He talks about it there in verse, in verse 10. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, this is a pet peeve of mine. You know, we've, we've had people that will sometimes uh, tell you as a believer that you're going to one day meet God and he's going to replay your life on a screen. I can just tell you I don't believe it. I don't believe that. You know, when I look and I study this, I think, you know, Paul's going back and forth in his we's and us's. You know, and he's talking about the good and, and the bad. I think he's more talking of a broad sense. And the reason I'll tell you that is because I just cannot believe that a God that would send his son to die on the cross, okay, to make me righteous with God, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, I cannot believe that that person who doesn't want to condemn me, because there's no con condemnation in those who belong to Christ, Romans 8, 1, I can't believe that same God is going to shame me and condemn me and make me feel bad, show me all the mistakes I made in my life, replay all the horror when I get to heaven. Just not going to happen. Not going to happen. But on the other hand, but on the other hand, the Bible is very clear that there are rewards in heaven. Very clear. Matthew 5, 12, when he's talking about uh, blessed are the persecuted, he says rewards in heaven will be great. Rejoice and be glad. I think when you get there as a Christian, he's going to be talking about all the good you've done. How it turned out, all the ways you served, the way you loved, the way you cared for people, the way you're out being a witness. And there's rewards. I don't have all the answers. I've studied the five crowns of, in the Bible and the rewards. I don't know. I can't stand here today and tell you what those rewards are going to look like. You know, I can't give you every definition and, I, you know, you do this, you're going to get that. I don't, I don't know. I know that the Bible is clear. There are rewards, and I know that, that you're going to get rewarded for your service, you know, for what you do for, for God. I know that. I also know that, that the rewards are, are a lot less about uh, the outcome, and they're more about obedience. I can tell you that. It's not as much about the outcome, but it's about obedience. Now, I can also tell you from my standpoint, I just want to, when I enter in, I just want... I want all the rewards I can get. I want God to just say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So I don't have to think about how to define them and what they look like. I just know that they're there. 
I trust God and I'm going to run after them. I was uh, looking for some background on this. I came across a guy, Brainerd Taylor. Anybody ever heard of Brainerd Taylor? It must be true. He says he's a forgotten evangelist in the Second Great Awakening. So, 1800s. I can't believe nobody knows this guy. I love him, though. If I was a reader, this is a book I would read. He had a book called The Uncommon Christian. Okay? And think about this. He's going to give you the definition of the uncommon Christian, and this should depress you a little bit because it should be the opposite, really. It should be the common Christian. He went on and defined it. He said, he said that become an uncommon Christian, that is an eminently holy, self-denying, Christ-bearing, Bible, everyday Christian. That's the uncommon Christian. Eminently holy, self-denying, cross-bearing, Bible, everyday Christian. Well, that should be the common Christian, shouldn't it? But he said that's the uncommon Christian. He also said, let us live for God, then the world will sink into nothing before us. The divine glory will be our chief aim in heaven, our final home. It's our chief aim. And if our chief aim is, is the new heaven and the new earth and the glory with Christ, then our, our task at hand, though, is something we also have to stay focused on, right? We have to live here. We, we can't just, you know, think about, about glory. We've also got to live in this world every day. So let's look at verses 11 through 21 and think a little bit about the task at hand. Verse 11 says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what, we're, what we are is known to God, and I hope it is, all, is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about our outward appearance and not about what is in our heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, Therefore, all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their own sake, died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Again, some of the most important scripture in the Bible. It talks about us in terms of being ambassadors, uh, ministers, if you will, of the reconciliation. So I want to spend a couple of minutes and break this down just to make sure we all understand what Paul is saying here in these verses. And the first thing, I guess, to understand is what it means to, to reconcile. Anybody know what that means to reconcile? Well, reconcile means to restore, okay? It means to restore. And Paul, in one very famous verse, in verse 21, really what he does there is he captures this entire message of reconciliation. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So two critical theological um, 
milestones of our faith, if you will. One is substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement, which basically means the payment for someone else's offense, their sin. Because what does atonement mean? Anybody know? It's the payment. The payment for something that's done wrong, for sin. And to be a substitute is the payment by someone for somebody else's sin. Well, that's what Jesus was, right? Jesus, he paid the price. He made atonement on our behalf. He offered the payment for you and I. The other thing that's captured in this this scripture, in this verse, is the concept of justification, right? We are justified because of what Christ did. And what does that mean? What does justification mean? This is back to what I heard a few minutes ago. To, To make something right. To justify, to make something right. Jesus has made right our wrong. He justified us before God. That's why it says, in Him, in Christ, we become the righteousness of God. Okay, because, because he made payment for our sins, right? Because he made payment for us. He was that substitutionary atonement. He justified us before God. He, he allowed us to enter in. We no longer have to go through the chief priest, the high priest, behind the, the veil, right? We get direct access because of what Christ did. He justified us. He paid our, the price for our sin, made us right with God, and he restored us, reconciled us. That's what it's all about. It's really just the gospel captured in one verse of reconciliation. Jesus made things right for you and I so that we could have a relationship with God. Not that we could follow a list of rules, but that we could have a personal relationship. We could be reconciled, restored back to what God intended in the beginning. I uh, was reading another sermon by Charles Spurgeon. I love Charles Spurgeon and his work. He wrote about reconciliation and I've probably got another quote in here because I love the sermon so much. It said on this point, Our objective in all our ministry is that you, is that you others should really be reconciled to God. Not that you should pretend to be so. Oh yes, you say, we will attend the regular services. If you wish, we will join the church. We will be baptized. We'll take the Lord's Supper. But that is not sufficient. God wants your heart. He wants you to be at peace with Him. Suppose you were able, you were to attend all of these external things and still not love and trust God, you would be insulting him, not honoring him. I tell you, all your church or chapel attendance, your saying of your prayers, your reading of your Bible has no value in his sight unless your heart is right with him. That is the point we are aiming at. That's a great word, right? Jesus didn't die uh, so that we could go to church. Okay, Jesus didn't die so that we could be baptized. He died because he wanted to bring us back into a relationship with the Almighty God. Amen? It's his gift. Substitutionary atonement, my recovery. I love that song. Okay, it's like the song says, it's our recovery. We are on a recovery mission to bring people back to God. And you know what I love about this uh, partnership is it's not one of necessity. Verse 18 says that all of this is from God. He doesn't need us. That's what I was saying. You know, this is all from God. He chose us to be his partner. And in these verses, he also tells us how he saved us, he equipped us, and he anointed us to be his partner. He saved us, he equipped us, and he anointed us. Look there in verse 16 through 18. It tells you, it says that, 
In verses, uh, he says that he has been, that who through Christ reconciled us to himself, there in verse 18. He saved us. Paul's saying he made me a new creation. See up there where he says we once regarded Christ according to the flesh? He's basically saying, listen, we, we, there was a time I didn't believe he was God. I just thought he was a man. No longer. I believe. For he who him for their sake died and was raised. So he saved us. He saved each and every one of us that believe in him for this partnership. Okay? He saved us so that we can do his work. He also equipped us. Says that he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He entrusted us, is what he says down there in verse 19. Okay, he gave us his ministry. All of us. All of us have the ability to do this. Okay, this is where my other Spurgeon quote comes in. He said, He bids us, he ministers, and indeed all his servants, all of us, each according to your opportunity, your experience, your knowledge, your ability, your grace, to go among the sons of men and exercise the ministry of reconciliation. To labor to bring men into harmony with God. He's equipped us all, given us the ability to do this. I, I once read somewhere where it said, He where God guides, He provides. I love that. Where God guides, He provides. So He saved us, He equipped us, and He appointed us. Verse 20 says that we are ambassadors for Christ to employ others to become reconciled to God. I looked up the definition of ambassador. It says, a diplomatic agent of the highest rank accredited to a government or nation as its resident representative. We are the resident representative here on earth of God, okay, of his nation, of his government. And as I said, as his representative to do his mission and his work, lots of things we can do, but none more important than spreading the gospel. None more important than helping people reconcile themselves to God. And you know what else? I, I said earlier a couple of times that he chose us. He didn't have to. You know why I think he did? You know why I think that he chose you and I to do this? I think it's because of our background and our experience. You know, when I think about Don Thompson and Doug McMillan and how they worked their way up, I think, you know, we've done the same thing. I mean, all of us have our background and the experiences of life, and we've got the scars, right, that, that we can roll out and talk to people about and tell them about. We've all got a story. We've been talking about this in church. We've all got a story that can become his story, right? So who better to execute this mission, this plan, than us, right? Because we can talk to people, and we can tell them from experience, you know, how God has changed our life. You know, how he's made us, how he's reconciled us to him. So we're, we're, we're equipped. We got the background. We got the experience. He saved us. He equipped us. And he appointed us to share the gospel. And one last thing, if you look there in, in verse 2 of chapter 6, he talks about this is the day of salvation. The day of salvation. Just a great reminder, isn't it, of the urgency of this. Of the urgency of this. You know, I have a business now that... We started about a year ago, and it's in the addiction space. Okay, it's an outpatient addiction treatment it's across the country. And I say every day in that business that the one real risk we have is that we don't act fast enough. From a business standpoint and a human standpoint, because I look across and I read the paper every day and I see people dying of addiction. So I think to myself, man, our biggest, biggest, biggest risk is that we don't get out there fast enough. Well, man you think about our partnership with God can you think of any bigger risk than not getting out there fast enough 
you know. In that business I just told you about, people could die. If you don't get there and help people, they can die. Well, the only thing worse than that is that they would die and go to hell. That they would die and go to hell. Listen, don't miss the opportunity to partner with God. It'll be the greatest partnership of your life. It gives you ability to change the world. I was listening to this uh, today when I was working out the, before we came to church uh, to Jesus Culture, and they got a song called The Anthem. Anybody ever heard that song? I got to play that sometime in here. I mean, let me tell you, that's my Saturday afternoon getting ready to come to church song. It will fire you up. It says in there, it says, <laughs> you want me to sing it? Yeah. No. No. <laughs> no. I'll give you some words, though. <laughs> At the end of it, though, he, it will get you fired up. He says, I am royalty. I, uh, I have destiny. I have been set free. I'm going to shape history. And then he gets them shouting it. I am royalty. I have destiny. That's our eternal home, by the way. I have been set free. And then he screams it out. I'm going to change the world. It's a great song. And we get to do it every day in partnership with God. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity we get just to join hands and arms and hearts with you, Lord, and go out and tell people about Jesus. God, there's nothing more important that we can do. No matter what we got going on in life, no matter our problems, Lord, no matter our distractions, and whatever it is that Satan throws in our way, Lord, none of that matters if we're not out telling people about Jesus. If through our life and through our actions and through our words, people aren't being reconciled to God. So God, I pray, Lord, that you would just give us all a burning desire every single day, Lord. Let us wake up, recognize the Lord, just the opportunity we have to partner with, with God to go out and share a message of hope that, Lord, can change their life, not only here, but for all eternity. Lord, there's such an urgency about what we need to do, God. I pray that you would just plant that on our hearts, Lord. Let us trust you and have faith. Let us walk by faith, not by sight, in all that we do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.